from the Holy Gospel according to John. A man named John was sent from God. He came for testimony, to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to testify to the light. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to him to ask him, Who are you? He admitted and did not deny it, but admitted, I am not the Christ. So they asked him, What are you then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you so we can give an answer to those who sent us? What do you have to say for yourself? John said, I am the voice of one crying out in the desert, Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Some Pharisees were also sent they asked him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but there's one among you whom you do not recognize, the one who is coming after me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to untie. This happened in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. This is big and in the way. <laughs> I'll do my best. As soon as we find ourselves in the Gospel of John, we know we're in for quite a spiritual ride. We've only been three weeks into this new year, this new church year, which is supposed to be dedicated to the Gospel of Mark, but already we switch out Mark for a little bit of John. Now, John's Gospel is a weird one. Maybe that's not the right word. It's an odd one. It's certainly a different one. Just take how the Gospels begin. Mark's Gospel begins with Jesus already as an adult, beginning his public ministry. There's no hint of his childhood or of his infancy or any of that. Matthew and Luke 
pick up some threads of tradition, of stories that are told about Jesus, and they add the nativity stories that we're so, so familiar with, the birth of Jesus and Mary and Joseph and all of those. But John really goes big. <laughs> he has an ambitious agenda when it comes to telling the story of Jesus, so he doesn't start with Jesus as an adult beginning his public ministry. He doesn't begin with Jesus as a baby in Bethlehem or any of that. He goes all the way back and echoes the very first words in the scriptures themselves, the first words of Genesis, in the beginning. In the beginning, that's big stuff. To tell Jesus' story and connect it all the way back to the very, very beginning of the story of Israel, the story of God's covenant with his people, the story even more than that of God creating the universe. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is Jesus' story being told in the most cosmic terms imaginable, mystical terms. These are, these are words that, that are far beyond time or space. This is where John tells us Jesus' story really begins. In poetry, he sings. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so it goes. And he takes us up as his readers into this mystical hymn. And he, like an eagle, soars and takes us with him into the heights of creation, beyond the universe, beyond the Big Bang, to God, God's Word, God's Spirit. And then he does something very strange. Just as we're rising into this mystical vision of the beginning of everything, John yanks us out of that, that beautiful divine sphere and pulls us into the Judean desert where it's dust and rock and dirt and tells us then about this man named John. John the Baptist, of course, who is weak physically, who is small, who is living in the desert on grasshoppers and honey, who is the very image of the human being in all of its poverty, in all of its fragility, in all of its, I don't know, humanity, let's say, humble. Suddenly we find ourselves not in eternity, but in the space of human life, with all of its troubles and difficulties and poverties and injustices. And there John leaves us, but only for a moment. Again, John grabs us out of that desert and takes us back into the universe, into the creation of everything, into God and the Word. And, and again continues his great hymn of the Word being made flesh and dwelling among us. Not for long. We're only going to rise on that beautiful poetry for just a moment or two, that hymn 
to creation and to the creator and to the word. For yet again, John, the gospel writer, yanks us back into the desert, yanks us back into the midst of humanity and all of its humility and its dirt and its dust and its troubles and tells us yet again about John, introduces us to him yet again. It's almost as if John doesn't want us to fly too high. He doesn't want us to move too deeply into those mysteries beyond time and space of the Father creating and the Word and the Spirit and all of that. He wants us to remember that, yes, that is important, but there's also this over here. There's humanity, too. There's time and space and earth and dirt and people with sins that need to be cleaned in the waters of the Jordan River. So what's he doing? Scholars have been scratching their heads for centuries about what's up with John. Is he just a really bad writer? That he can't hold his attention on one thing before he moves to the other? Why does John not tell us a kind of, tell us get the, get the poetry out of the way first and then move to John? Why is it getting kind of caught up with one another? One bit here, one bit there, one bit there. It's almost like he was writing all of this on Microsoft Word and the whole thing goes kablooey and he has to piece it back together again. Really bad editing. Or is it? Maybe John the evangelist has a reason for splicing together the poetry of the Creator, the Word made flesh, with the humble story of John the Baptist out in the desert, calling the people of Jerusalem and Judea and Israel to the waters of cleansing because of their sinfulness. Perhaps what John wants us to do in reading this and hearing these stories is to realize and become aware that the one is not possible without the other. That the two realities, the reality of God beyond time, the reality of God who creates everything, the reality of God who is word eventually made flesh cannot happen without the flesh part. That, that God in his divinity needs our humanity. And so the two are woven together as one piece, warp and woof of one cloth, those going up and down and those going sideways, all together one. That you can't have God, word, creation without also having the created world that results with all of its imperfections and all of its faults and failings, with all of its sin and all of its failures and all of its joys too. The two are bound together. Gerard Manley Hopkins is a, was a Jesuit poet, beautiful poetry. And one of his most beautiful and sublime poems begins with the words, the world is charged with the grandeur of God. And, and what he means is that this world of ours has God's fingerprints all over it because he's its creator. Everything in this world, every tree, every blade of grass, every, every 
bit of dust and dirt, every molecule, every proton and neutron and whatever else there are, quarks and all that stuff, is charged with the grandeur of God. But if that's true, and if we are to take seriously what John is doing when he tells the story of both creation and John the Baptist together as one piece, then it also has to be true that God is charged with the humanity of our lives, with the humanity of flesh and blood, and yes, even dirt of our earth and of our lives. You can't have one without the other. And it's, it's almost like John is telling us that through the epochs of our history, beginning with creation and beyond until the present moment, God has been weaving himself into our lives and into our worlds and inviting us to be woven in, inviting us to have a part in his godness, in his divinity, in his grace. And with each new moment, with Abraham and Moses and then the judges and the prophets, Elijah and King David and Isaiah and, Eli and Ezekiel and all the others. And finally, with John the Baptist, God is embedding himself into our world and into our lives more and more and more and more and inviting us to be embedded in his glory inviting us to recognize that his grandeur is in us and that he is inviting us to be part and parcel of his work of creating something beautiful here and gracious and holy. It's almost as if John the Evangelist wants us to understand that with John the Baptist, that work is almost complete that the communion between God and humanity, divinity and flesh and blood in John the Baptizer has come to almost its culmination, almost but not quite. John the Baptist has to let people know, I am not the Christ, I am not the Messiah. I am not the Word made flesh. I am not the light that has been built into humanity. That is yet to come. And isn't that exactly what we believe about Jesus? This Jesus whose birth we're going to celebrate, whose flesh and bloody bloodness we are going to mark and, 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 and rejoice in in just a few more days. That finally, what God has been doing all along comes to its culmination with divinity and humanity united in one. That's the grandeur of God filling the world, charging the world, electrifying the world. And that's humanity becoming one with that divinity. God charged with our flesh and our blood. So what can we do except rejoice? <laughs> rejoice that 
God, the God of creation, the God who started this whole thing, the gods whose fingerprints are all over our world, our universe, every atom of it. God who is beyond time, God who is beyond space, this God that we find being lifting ourselves up in the poetry of the first verses of John in the beginning is also here, is also with us, is also flesh and blood with us. The Word was with God and is God. The Word is flesh and blood and is human being with us. So rejoice on this third Sunday of Advent. Our celebrations of the weaving together of God and humanity are close. So close we can feel it. We can know it. We can love it. And so we rejoice. And we give thanks to John for letting us see that the divinity of God and the humanity of humanity are together, particularly and especially in Jesus. The Word made flesh in its fullness. Rejoice, says St. Paul. Rejoice, says the prophet Isaiah. Rejoice, says the psalm today. The world is charged with the glory of God. Humanity is charged with the glory of God. God is charged with the glory of our flesh, our blood, our humanity.